Welcome to No Gray Areas. In this enlightening episode, join us with our special guest, life coach and educator, Tim Welch. As we delve into the art of intentional parenting, key principles to raise your kids by, leading by example in all aspects of your life. Let's jump in. Well, welcome, Tim Welch, to No Gray Areas. We're going to actually talk about the importance of fatherhood. And I was thinking about queuing this up and 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 telling the audience that some of them that maybe aren't fathers, why they should keep listening. But then I thought, well, you actually will do a better job with that than I will. So why is it important that someone who might be listening right now and is saying, well, I'm not a father, why would I keep listening? Why is it important that they listen? You know, I think most men are... Uh, should desire and our leaders, we're leaders, whether we want to or not, someone's going to follow us. We have the ability to influence people along the way. Um, hopefully, first and foremost, as a dad, you'd want to influence your kids the most. But I find the, that some of these principles that, that I've developed along the way and learned along the way that made me a better dad also made me a better coach, also made me mm. a better leader over people that work underneath me. Yeah, And... Um, you know, you should, uh, a good leader is going to build leaders underneath him. And so what I'm really trying to do with my own kids is build... a powerful statement that you just said right there. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, Keep going. Um, I'm trying to build my own kids as leaders. Why would I not have the same mindset for people that are working for me? Mm -hmm. Um, Coaches that work underneath me, uh, teachers that work underneath me. I want to help them grow and develop to be the best they can be. And that's what a lot of these principles do. This is why I'm excited about our interview today. You and I have had coffee a few times, and every time we do, I I, I feel like we could go a hundred different directions in our conversation because you say something, or you just said three or four things there that we could do a whole podcast on. <laughs> like leaders make leaders. That's so good. But what about let's say there's a, a a woman driving in her car right now and she's listening to us. Why would she keep listening? We're talking about fatherhood. Well, unfortunately, what's true about today is that fathers are absent in a lot of ways. Even if they're in the home, sometimes they're absent yeah. uh, because of work and other responsibilities. Um, and there are a lot of moms raising kids. And so a lot of these principles, um, we'll get to a little bit, just some tips that I, that I have. And these are things that I've learned being in education for 35 years. I've been around parents and kids a lot. So I've learned these things. They're just practical things I've learned. And a mom who is either as a single mom or raising because dad's absent in some way, these principles will absolutely help you. In fact, some of these principles I've learned from really good mothers. Mm. So. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And, and you, you bring up an important point. I'm going to jump into that right now. That's a great segue, by the way, because I want to ask why you care so much about this. When you and I have met for coffee a couple of times, we, we've often gotten on the importance of, of manhood, fatherhood. Um, but, but I want to ask, like, what led you, your life journey, what led you to care so much about this issue? Because again, you, you just mentioned it there briefly. You, only, you not only have learned these things from being a father, but you've actually been in the education world for a long time. So you've seen um, families and you've worked with families. So tell us a little bit about your journey and what led you to care so deeply about this issue. So um, the first thing I would say in, in, in all the time in education, um, if, if you gave me a classroom of 30 kids and let me be with them for about two or three weeks, after that time, I will tell you where there is a divorced family, 
if there's something broken in this kid's life. I mean, you just know, you see it, you feel it, um, and their self-confidence and a, a lot of their characteristics. Um, you just, you, you pick up on it. That is so true. I was a, a teacher and a coach for the first 10 years of my work life in my 20s, and I would totally agree with what you're saying. You're saying within a few weeks you can see that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And then fast forward to my job the last eight years. I worked in a Christian school as a dean of students where I dealt with brokenness all the time. Kids make poor decisions. Um, it's kind parents of your job to deal with that, right, yeah, as a dean? That was part of my job. <laughs> yeah. Um, and parents would come in. they come in for meetings. And it was very clear to me how we got where we got, how we got here. Mm. Um, mom and dad, very dysfunctional marriage, or dad sometimes not really, really even be around. Um, I began to see if you if you aren't going to parent well, the, the outcome of your kids, you're just kind of rolling the dice and, mm -hmm. and hoping that mm -hmm. it comes up to be a winning hand. Or you can be intentional. So that, that just made me a student of... Um, these kids in front of me, they're broken because they come from brokenness in their family. How can I mentor them? Um, so most of my job as a dean is, yes, I dealt with the discipline, but I got an opportunity now that this kid's junk was out on the mm -hmm. table to be authentic and transparent and, and, and hold him accountable, but love on him and tough love on him um, and, and help really change his trajectory. That was always the goal when you came into my office. It wasn't to slap your hand and give you a penalty. It was to mentor you to a much better place than where you are. I was taking the role of a dad in some cases where I saw it was obviously not present. Yeah. So fast forward that to uh, um, along my, all my years of education, I was a coach for thir over 30 years, wrestling coach. Um, and that's really where my passion comes, is coaching, coaching kids, coaching people. And I recognized uh, along the way that a lot of athletes would come to me as, their, as the head coach and share struggles and challenges and victories and yep. coach, I screwed up. And, and, I always, and, and I always engaged, always mentored, always loved on these kids. And I, th I thought for recently, why are you coming to me? Don't, why not, don't you have a dad in your home that you want to go to and share this? Sometimes it would come to me. How do, I, how do I talk to my dad about this? And I began to think about what connections do I have with these athletes that makes it so that they want to come share some of their biggest challenges yeah. with me. Yeah. And as I began to write down in these connection points, um, I I've been teaching a, a men's Bible study over the last eight years at the school I was at. And uh, I realized that the kids were using me as a coach for life. That should be their dad's role. And how can I give these dads information, principles, guidance, mentorship, so that... So they can do that. Yeah, to yeah. open that space where... Which is their rightful role. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And some of them, it's still your role, but you're, you're pushing it back. You want, you want somebody, an educator or a pastor or somebody else to do it. What a blessing it is to be why, able why, to do that. Why do you think that that so many do push that away from that role? Like, like why do you think that so many uh, don't want that? Because it's hard and they feel ill-equipped. Um, I mean, this, this man who's this great leader goes into a corporation or a company that he owns and he, and he's just the most wonderful, you know, great owner or, or, or boss to have. And then he comes home 
and things fall apart. He can't control things the way that he wants to. You don't control your kids like you do a company. Um, it's hard. You have to sometimes be soft, sometimes be hard. Um, you have to you have to listen. A, a lot of people are really successful in business world. They don't, they, they don't like listening very well. They like directing. They tell. They're tellers. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you you have this goal in business that man, we are going to drive this to a point, whether it's a profit or a successful adventure or, or whatever. You can't treat your kids like that. Yeah, and you can't you, you know one philosophy does kind of fit in a company. One philosophy does not fit with three or four different kids in your family. Tim, if 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 the listeners aren't watching us right now, they missed me smiling so big when you started explaining this because I have seen and heard that so many times. I love what you just said. There's a massive difference between leading a company or an organization and being a dad. Uh, you could be the most important, you know, I put it in quotes, the most important person in the world. The president of the United States, you come home, you're just dad to those kids. You are just dad. Yeah. You could be running a huge corporation with thousands of employees and, and you, you know, corporations and magazines are writing articles about you. you. come home and you're just dad. And the way you're leading that organization, you can't lead the same at home. That's what you're saying. Wow. Absolutely. In fact, I'll give you another principle that applies on work and home. It's different. You know, most owners or most people in the business world, they don't want people to see their flaws. They don't want to see where they make a mistake. In fact, quickly, if there's a mistake, everybody's working to, you know, build it back up and, and get past it really quick. Um, and obviously, if you want to make a profit, you're not going to let failure continue to happen, right? You're going to move to success. There is a great blessing in your kids watching you struggle through something in life. You give them permission that they don't have to be perfect. It, it, I just struggle as such a great teacher. Um, as a wrestling coach, I will tell you that no one just shows up on a wrestling mat and is like, great. You have to have your butt handed to you. You have to be hammered. Yeah, yeah. You have to read these pinnacles where somebody just absolutely lays it on you and you realize, I got some work to do. Failure, challenge, struggle are all great teachers. Why do we as parents... Some of the greatest teachers, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The greatest teacher. And why do we as parents try to quickly, you know, take failure and hard times and, well, let's, let's just overcome that. Um, we I take them away from our kids, but then what you're saying is we don't let them see ours. Like you're saying there's huge value in a child seeing whether they're young or a teenager or a young man or young woman seeing us as, as a dad struggle with something and even fail. Absolutely. I don't think you can teach your kids better things than you going through a challenging part in your life. It could be the death of somebody. It could be the loss of a company. And they watch how you you handle that with grace, hopefully with, with yeah. faith and character integrity. Watching you grieve it. Like, All that's okay of those to things yeah, are yeah, so yeah. great for you and your kids to experience together. Wow. You know, I look back and it's it's always a funny story that I used to tell on the stage a lot of times when I was speaking. Um, it's a kind of a day that I lost it in front of my kids when they were really little. My kids are all adults now. But I threw a lawnmower. And I mean, just totally <laughs> lost. It was just embarrassing. Uh -oh. Yeah, I just chucked a lawnmower across the yard. And, and then my middle child, my son, he was about six or seven at the time. And he thinks he's a comedian, did at the time. And he the first thing he says to me is like, maybe it'll work now, Dad, is it's <laughs> leaking oil and gas. But I mean, it was just embarrassing. And the kids go into the house and they tell their mom, like, don't go in the backyard. Dad's totally lost it. But I went inside when I finally got myself together. And I, I had them all sit on the couch. And I got on my knees in front of them. I said, I am so sorry. 
you know, what dad just did was, but that's kind of what you're talking about. You know, sometimes you think you need to hide that from them. And even if we try to hide it, they're going to see it. Like there's no way I could hide that. They saw it. So just admit it, right? The, the humility and the, so that's such a, that's such a great point. Well, let me actually ahead. finish yeah. that. I actually think there are dads that do hide it from the failure from their kids. They want to think that I got to be perfect. got to have it all together. Mm. And I think you're stealing a blessing from your kids when you do that. Well, that's, that's a great point. And I think, would you agree with this or not? As they get older, though, they're going to start seeing through that because eventually you can't hide it. Like you, you'll try to hide some things, but as they get older and they start moving into young adulthood, they're going to see like, ah, dad doesn't have it all together. And then, and then they're going to struggle with the whole, like, you know, you're wearing masks. And so, yeah, we hide it. And then you're right. They do see it. They absolutely see it when you think you've covered it up, when you think you've moved past it. And no, they see it. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the kind of the hypocrisy of it comes out eventually. Man, this is why I love talking with you. We could go so many directions. So tell, tell me why you think fatherhood is so important. In our email discussion, you talked about stats, like stats just seem to indicate the value of fatherhood and what we're seeing in our society today with uh, the, the high, high percentage of absent fathers, even if they're in the home, like you said. So speak into that a little bit. So there's two things I would say about that. Number one, it, it, you know, we all have read, if you go into any prison, penitentiary or whatever, how many people are in there that had an absent dad or didn't have a dad or never knew their dad. That number alone should motivate us as a community, as a society, to do the best thing we can do mm -hmm. to, to, to encourage dads to be in the home. But we don't. In fact, if you look at a lot of TV and movies, they, look mo they have most dads look silly, stupid, yeah. They're the stupid inept. Yeah. 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 Uh, instead of being a strong you know, male figure that influences in positive ways. Yeah, right. So we're not helping ourselves at all. Um, but probably equally as damaging is that dad who doesn't know how to relate to his kids, that doesn't, that's home, but not really home. You know, he's there in the home and he's, he's at the, all the ball games and he does that, but he's all, maybe on his phone, checking emails, checking this. Those little things send messages to your kids that um, I'm, I'm only part-time here with you, mm -hmm. not full-time. One of the, just one of the principles I could ever give a dad is when you're home, your, your phone should be, you know, work, all that. You need to, you need to cut it off and really make that time <clears throat> important for your kids because then that's, that's creating space for them. In other words, you don't have to wedge space in this 30 minutes. There should be a big gap that, that your son or daughter can see, like there's lots of opportunity for, come, for me to come in and share something with my dad and not feel like I'm bothering him or he's busy um, creating space, that, that phrase right there. So let's jump into that a little bit. I was going to be a question a little further down here, but you talk about intentionality. That's kind of goes along with that creating space, right? So con connect those for us. Yeah. I'm not going to say most dads, but a lot of dads that I know are not intentional or they're intentional in specific places. Um, if a dad had the same focus in his role as a father, as he does in business or work, our kids would be a lot better off. We kind of come home and want to decompress and then hope just our presence and our interactions with our kids make a difference. If I did that as a coach, when I was a head coach, just if I came up. into the practice room and thought just the fact that I was there 
and I was barking a few times, blowing a whistle, that that was going to create state champions in my program. No one would, that's no foolish. one, that's foolish, that yeah. would be yeah, really yeah, foolish, yeah. but that's exactly what we do wow. when we walk into our houses. We expect just, you know, here I am, yeah. I'm going to be dad. Yeah. And then, so when I say intentionality, um, you know, are you, are you intentional about maybe having dinner together and, and as a dad every night, not just saying, Hey, how was your day? Cause most kids will go fine. Yeah. yeah get but, one word answer. but really get good at asking questions like, you know, what about your day really was really a struggle for you today? What mm -hmm. about your day was, um, just to create conversation. Some of the best intentional dads I know ask great questions and just listen. The second part of that intentionality is that, is that you don't have to make a determination or a decision about what your kid just said. Oh, I'm struggling with such and such. And then we want to give them the plan because oh. that's what we do at work. We're going to give them exactly. an adult plan to fix their yeah. problem that they're having with. We have their... to have a solution for everything. Oh, yeah. Instead of just, hmm, asking another question. If, you're, if you can ask enough questions where your child, if you continue to pour into them, they have the solution in there. They just need to work through it. Now they'll own the solution and they'll go put it into play. But instead, we give them this adult solution and say, yeah, just you know, do it this way and, and it, the problem will go away. I actually believe that, the, that what you're saying is, is very applicable to the work world too. You know, and I think right. that a lot of times right. if we come to a, a a decision because we came to the decision instead of just I'm the boss and this is what we're going to do, it works all better there too. But but let me go back to you. Have, you've probably three, four, five times now used the word listen, which I obviously you think that's a key part of being a good father then is just listen. That takes a lot of self-discipline because I think just as men, we're kind of wired. We even do it with our wives. And you read any book on husbands and wives and they say, just sometimes you need to just shut up and listen, right? Why is that so important? You're, you're trying to teach your young person in your home to be an adult one day, to make great decisions, to solve problems. Um, you're really preparing the child for the road that's ahead. Sometimes what parents do is they, they've got that wrong. They um, they prepare the road for the child. You emailed that to me, and I I I have it highlighted right here in yellow. I was like, I that is good. We are we are pausing and spending some time on that one. So say that again, so our audience doesn't miss it. That's so good. The as a parent, um, are you preparing uh, the road for the child? In other words, you're making it smooth and all the bumps and the the holes, potholes and stuff taken out. Um, or are you preparing the child to be successful on the road, regardless of which way it turns and what way it goes? I see that happen in schools all the time where, uh, uh, you know, Susie didn't get quite the, 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 the test grade she wanted or there's some conflict with the teacher and the parent wants to come in and just bulldoze everything. Um, the best thing you could tell your, or ask your kid if they come home and said, well, the teacher was unfair, yeah, or the assignment was fair, or wasn't clear or whatever they're coming home with is, well, what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about that? I'll dialogue with you. I'll give you some suggestions where what obstacles do you feel like you're working through? We can dialogue, and that's a good parenting, but 
Instead, we come in and we fix the problem. I love it when I call a parent when I was a dean, say, you know, I think we have a problem. And instead of them wanting to come in my office and fix the problem, they say, what does my son need to do? Hmm. Thank you for your partnership. Here's what I think your son needs to do. This is how I think he needs to make it right. So... Yeah, my son's uh, freshman football coach back when he was, he's an adult now, but when he was playing freshman football, I'll never forget when we had the parent meeting at the beginning of the season and the football coach said, listen, if you don't like the playing time or some other issues that you're having with your son, I don't want you coming and talking to me about it because your son is now a young man. You can talk to your son, and but your son is the one who's going to come and talk to me about it. And I, I will never, that was probably eight years ago now, and I still remember it. And he... That coach was doing exactly what you're you're describing, is he was trying to help these young men learn what it means to be an adult and deal with problems yourself. And you're saying as parents we need to do that, and that's part of what listening. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Wow. So so let me l- let me ask you two quick questions. Just kind of insert. It's per- perfect time to put it in this conversation. Number one, what would you say to like let's say some fathers are listening right now and they are just overwhelmed with guilt and going like i've been a terrible father and maybe you know maybe they're way down the road on it what would you say to them and then second question for you really quick how do we avoid the whole plug and play thing like i've seen that especially in the in the in the christian world in the church world you know plug these things in and you're gonna get perfect kids and we and then and then people do that stuff and then you know a couple of kids go off the rails or they don't have the same value system as their parents and then you go well it didn't work so two questions loaded questions number one what would you say to fathers who are who are struggling with some guilt right now and then secondly the plug and play hey from your no gray areas team we just want to say thank you so much for listening and if you're loving this episode would you just take a moment and leave us a review rating on whatever platform you're listening from. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on the new podcast episodes that drop every other Wednesday. By leaving a review and subscribing, you help others discover our podcast's inspirational messages to effectuate positive change in their lives. Okay, let's jump back in to this episode. Two questions, loaded questions. Number one, what would you say to fathers who are, who are struggling with some guilt right now? And then secondly, the plug and play. You know, that's a great question. Um, I, I'm reading a book here called Noble Journey by a, a guy named Craig Glass, who I met with recently. Um, and and I'm Craig, write that book down. Keep going. <laughs> Craig um, just gave me so much wisdom. He's been working with men for years. Um, he said, "Every dad, every dad, is walking around with a wound from his own father or lack of father." That that that's very true. I mean, all of us men are, if we were truly honest with ourselves, hide certain thoughts, certain things. I don't want anybody to know that part of me because then my kids won't follow me. They, they won't trust me or my wife or, or whatever. All of us men walk wow. around with those insecurities yeah. and those wounds. So when a dad says, you know, I, I've messed up, I've screwed up, there's, you know what? There is always time for a comeback, always. So... It may take time. I mean, it took you a long time to screw this up, Dad. Let's not think that you're going to un- unscrew it up be because there's trust that you violated in, in some of the things that you've done. The first place to start is, will you, will you forgive me? And, and even as I try to come back, I'm not going to be perfect. And, and you start setting a platform where 
you, it, there's just this communication going back and forth. And, and, and in some ways, that, that's hard for a man to do. But you're giving, you're teaching your, your, your child this incredible life lesson that will, that will just, even if it never gets fully back to where you'd like it to, um, you got to be willing to fight for that comeback. You absolutely yeah. be willing yeah. to fight for that. Um, it, it is going to be hard. And you're not going to get, you know, you may look at this, this other dad who's had it all together for a while and, um, you know, has really worked hard at it. You, you're not going to get there. But even halfway to there will be an incredible blessing to you and your child. And really what you're trying to create, because at some point your kids are done listening to you, you know, they're, they're not, they're not asking for, for your answer all the time. Occasionally they'll come for advice, right? You want to earn the right to be able to be part of that conversation 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road. And you do that by being a good listener and, and just trying to create a, a platform where you invite your kids in that same intentionality and same space that you did when they were in your home. It's just so packed with meaning what you just said. I, I mean, I love you're, you're talking about the way you parent your six-year-old, eight-year-old, 10-year-old, 12-year-old is going to have a lot to do with the relationship you have with them at 26, 27, 28 when they're, when they're that age, right? Absolutely. So, but then I love the hope that you just gave too. I love the hope that you just gave. There's always time for a comeback. When you just use the example of a dad saying, will you forgive me? Imagine the power of a dad who's been parenting this kid. Maybe that kid's 27 years old now and has never heard that man say those words. It may take him a while to, to, to learn that that person really means it, but those words pack some power. If for the first time they came and say, hey, would you forgive me? Or, hey, I want to become a better listener, whatever that might be. I love the hope in that. And if you really do want to come back, then you'll say it as often as it needs to be said. Won't you? You sound like a coach. (laughs) (laughs) You sound like a coach. If you really want this, you'll do what it takes. But you're right. You're right. Words are cheap. But but if you really deep, deep within your soul want it, you'll do whatever it takes. Yeah, good point. So what about that plug and play? You know, that's, again, I grew up, I went, went to Christian schools. I taught in a Christian school. Love, love, love. 95% of everything was good. I look back on good, but there was these little percentages where I go, oh, and one of them was, I think there was a subtlety that was that was bought into like a plug and play. Like I'm going to do this, which by the way, I don't think even fits theologically because if that was true theologically, God is the worst parent in the history of the universe because he is the only perfect parent and he has a lot of kids that reject him. So how do you speak into that whole thing of being careful where we don't say like, if you parent this, your kids will always turn out. Parent this way. There is absolutely no 100% guarantee that you could be the best parent ever and that your kids are going to, you know, thrive and be, because you, you, life is out there. Life, yeah. Satan trying to knock your kids, you know, if you grow, if you're trying to raise your kids in a Christian family, hey, there's an adversary trying to take them out of that. So there's always going to be this this tension. But the plug and play, I think, neglects a couple of things. Number one, um, it it pushes the responsibility of parenting onto somebody else indirectly. In other words, there's a lot of kids that that a lot of parents that sent kids to the schools, Christian school I was working at. 
thinking that we were going to fix things, thinking that we were, you know, maybe their kid wasn't completely all, you know, yeah, messed up, yeah. but, you know, just they just need a little bit of that religion thing. They just need a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, no. You know what they need? They need you. They need you being intentional with those things. If you think this plug-and-play is good, then you deliver it. You, you be the one. Because what you're neglecting is the journey that you're walking with your kids. Part of the reason why a lot of athletes would come see me as a coach is because I was on the same journey that they were on. We were on the wrestling mat together. We were next to, you know, in competition together. Those, those moments just create this bond. The journey is the most important thing. If you as a parent are just, um, you know, coaching your kid to win, to win, to win, to win, to win. And as soon as this win comes, now you're preparing for another win. And it could be in some other part of life. It could be in competition. Um, you're becoming a performance-based parent. You know, So the next win is we're going to get an A in this class. The next win is we're going to be a varsity this. The next win is we're going to get the cutest girl. You know, it, It's all these little and wins. subtly taught so often, isn't it? it? It is this journey. And sometimes the journey takes you over a cliff. And sometimes the journey puts you on your knees. And sometimes it's at the highest mountaintop. And it's those little moments that you walk step by step that, that, that create a bond that is so special and so unique that you miss if you just do a plug and play because you're expecting a teacher or a coach or a program to fix it. That's so powerful. And that goes back to something you said earlier. If, if I'm, you know, let's say you're my son and I'm your father, if we're on the same journey, like I'm not pretending that I've arrived. This goes back to you saying there's power in being transparent and, and, and having your kids understand that you're broken too and you're on this journey. There's, there's so much power in that. You're right. I think a lot of times as coaches and athletes, the reason there's a connection there is because the athlete knows we're on the same journey. And we're, we're sweating it out and, and working hard in the practices and doing what we need to do. But as a parent, that's so important for them to understand. And part of recognizing that they we're on the same journey is for them to understand that you don't have it all together. You're working this out too. And for them to get to see that. It goes back to something you said earlier. Love that. If you think about the things you want, you'd want your um, child to learn, you know, character, patience, um, overcoming, um, whatever. Uh, be deeper in the word or, or grow their faith out more, whatever it is. If you, want, if you want them to do that, you know, the best way for them to do that is for you to be doing it and struggling through that yourself. If you want your kids to be deeper in their faith, then you become deeper in your faith. If you want your kids to be more patient, then you become more patient. If you want your kids to see what it looks like to overcome, then you overcome. If you want your kids to learn how to serve, will you go serve. And see the struggle in that, right? To see, and that goes back to what you said earlier, that, that it's not, I just wake up one day and I'm going to serve more, but they're watching dad or mom struggle through serving more. So they're seeing you serve more, but they're seeing that journey too. I, man, it's so good. How many times have you heard this, Pat, that kids pick up way more from what they see you do than what they hear you yeah, do, than what they, the talk, you say right? or what yep. you tell them what to do? Yeah. Go oh, for sure. For sure. Not even close. Yeah. yeah. It's like me when, when I threw that lawnmower. I can tell my kids all the time, don't lose your temper. But then when they watch me, you know, but but then they don't, if I, if I ignored it and didn't let them see me in the struggle of trying to overcome my own temper issues, 
Um, they were going to catch more if my boys just watched me do that for years and I kept telling them, don't lose your temper, don't lose your temper. And they got in trouble all the time, but they watched me lose my temper. Oh, I'm not helping them much, am I? No. One of the things that I encourage dads to do, really pay attention to, this needs to be a discipline for you, is don't disqualify yourself. You know, we see that in the Word, you know, when you're preaching the yep. Word or teaching yep. a lesson. Don't disqualify yourself by then violating it somewhere down the road. So if you're trying to get your kids to think about character and integrity and honesty, but then they hear you driving down the, the, the roadway on the phone working a business deal where, you know, you're trying to shave a little bit of this or a little bit of that or not offer, you know, a full, you know, service to somebody, you've now disqualified yourself to talk about character. It's the same thing as, as coaches today. Um, you know, they'll, they'll cuss at their kids. Like, you know, why are you effing do this? Or, you know, you know, you know, whatever word you want, animation. And then sometime later in the week, midway through practice, they want to have a character lesson. Uh, you've just disqualified yourself from that because of, because of your character. Yeah. And I see a ton of high school coaches today do that. Speaking to a little bit of, um, and you, you've touched on this a little bit, almost accidentally, the stages of parenting. Because that's different too, right? You know, I, I've heard different messages. I've given messages in the past where a lot of times when your kids are little, you're a little more of a commander. You move into a little more of a role of a coach as they get older. And then, you know, as with adult children, you have them, I have them now, adult children. You're a little more of a counselor where you have to be a little more careful, like you're waiting for your kids to come in and ask for advice. But everything you've done in those younger years has built whether you have a relationship, they're going to do that. What what do you see with the stages of, of parenting? Because it is different, right? You're going to parent a three-year-old different than you're going to parent a 13-year-old or an 18-year-old. Yeah, you are. And there's certainly no magic uh, science to it. It's more of an art, mm. you know, because each kid's a little bit differently. Different. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're going to give freedoms in a certain area and the kids will violate that. I mean, it's always just this work in progress. Um. You, I think you want to move your kids to the next stage before they're ready for it. Because in a sense, you're challenging them. You know, I, you're not going to tell a five-year-old, you know, well, what are you going to do about it? You know, what, how will you solve that problem? You offer some alternatives like, okay, well, I think maybe these are some two alternatives. You like either one of these type deal. Um, you're, you're trying to get them to start thinking that they have choice. Um now, we all know that sometimes you, as a dad, you, you're just going to speak into yeah, the yeah, moment, yeah, and this is the yeah. way it's going to be, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. But, but we probably do that more often than we should a lot of times. Sure. You, yeah. you know, you're doing 100% when they're five and 80% when they're seven. and 90, so, so it's you trying to figure out how to put that responsibility of ownership onto your child. Man, if parents listening would just take that little piece of advice you gave as a parent who has adult children now or helping with grandkids now, I love what you just said. Start moving them into that next stage before they're ready. That's a great principle. So you're you're saying you're challenging them, right? You're you're helping to challenge them and, and build them and grow them into what that next stage is going to involve. Yes, one of the things I I think is a great another principle for a parent is let your Encourage your kids by working outside their comfort zone. Every, every kid, every family likes to stay in their comfort zone. So if you want your kid to work outside their comfort zone, you have to work outside your comfort zone. You have to model it for them. And you have to accept the fact 
that they could make some mistakes. In fact, part of you should desire that they make mistakes. How many times do we want to, you know, like keep that path really nice so there's always success? We are robbing our kids of such great life lessons when we do that. Mm -hmm. But if we can push them right just a little bit out of their comfort zone, and when the mistake comes, if it comes, be present, be in that journey. Well, okay, that, that didn't work. Now what? Time for a comeback. Time for a comeback. And that goes back to what you said earlier about the roads. Like we we try to prepare the road rather than child for the road. So when we're like filling the potholes and trying to make sure that they don't have to make those mistakes and instead of journeying with them through that, that, that goes back to that. I don't want my child to feel like they can't come home to me and say, Dad, I messed up. So there's only two reasons they would do that. Well, there might be more, but two main. Number one, you haven't been given them permission to fail. That'd be the first one. And so they're afraid you're going to scream up them or whatever. Secondly, they feel like um, you're such a perfect dad. This is just going to disappoint you. Neither one of those should be present in a relationship with your kid. They need to know that they can fail. And they need to know you're not perfect. So failure is just part of life. That's so huge. So I look back now. Now I'm going to be a little transparent here. I look back in my childhood and I go, that's exactly what I learned. And I connected that to God. So through my 20s, I had to journey and really understand what grace was. And because I had connected that. To, so when I would fail, I, I would sometimes spend days before I would like come to God with it instead of knowing that he always had open arms. He was always full of grace. But I had I had been modeled something from a father that it was like, I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to be a disappointment. So that, you know, what you're saying is so critical for parents and fathers especially to do because you're helping those children not only bring those mistakes home to you, but you're also modeling what God is to them. Absolutely. He's always going to have open arms. And we would both sit here and agree, and a lot of people listening would agree that God never wants to shame us. That's not the way yeah. he operates, right? Yeah. As a father, it is our goal, and, and we should work at this, to correct, to guide, to move, but not to create shame. One of the areas in today's society that if it's not a problem, it will be a problem at some point, is pornography in the lives of young people because they have it on their, yeah. on their yeah. cell phone. They, they can access it. Any other time in history. Yep. Right. And that is such a touchy subject when it comes to correct you you know you catch your son with it or you know you you look on some tool and you realize oh they're hitting these ip addresses that are that are you know pornography driven and how that that is that may be the toughest conversation to have with your kid to to talk to them Without about shame. yeah about why we shouldn't be doing that and why that's not healthy for us in relationships and stuff like that and not shame them at the same time and shame can show up in lots of different places but that's that's the that's a yeah. that's a, the enemy um, but sometimes we self-impose shame on ourselves uh, in this book right here noble journey I was reading something recently where where um, Craig said. We, we feel accepted, you know, as Christians, we're saved. You know, we know we're forgiven, what he did on the cross. And we're, we're happy to be in that relationship. But most of us men feel like God is disappointed with us, which means that we, we walk around in shame. Well, you know, we know our inner thoughts. We know, you know, we looked at that girl or we thought that thought or whatever it was that we do. And we immediately go to shame. Oh, 
God's not going to show any favor with me today. You know, I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't this, I wasn't that. And it becomes, again, performance-based. Our God is not performance-based. But most of us men walk around, especially if we have the wound, yeah. either self-imposed yeah. or from our father, thinking that he, God's disappointed in me. Yeah. Tim, it absolutely broke me. It absolutely broke me the moment in my life when I realized that... Um, if Jesus were standing here in, in physical form like he was 2,000 years ago when he's walking on earth, that he would put his hands on my shoulders and he'd smile and he'd say, you're my son and I'm so proud of you. Amen. When I realized that, I mean, it broke me. Because I had walked around for a lot of my life. You can tell it still gets me emotional. But I had walked around a lot of my life feeling that, that shame. Amen. So what uh, the author of this book said, I completely believe that. That most men, I would say most humans walk around feeling that they just don't measure up. And if, if we're feeling that way, is it likely we we're might projecting it. project that onto our kids, right? And so we just, shame is, especially with boys, shame is such a, just a, it kills relationships. Yeah, it, it, it just kills. You know, I, I would say that I didn't always do these things right. Uh, my oldest boy probably was, you know, kind of my test pilot on this. And he's poor the one that challenges us a <laughs> lot, oldest, right? Four firstborns. Yeah, he, ch he challenges a lot. He's a yeah, free yeah, thinker. Yeah. He's he's just a, a, a wild horse. And I love that about him, but it certainly caused a lot of challenges. And I can't say that I always parented well. Um, I wish what I know now and how what I practice now, I wish my 30-year-old son would have yeah had that had more of it yeah yeah none of us are parent of uh, parents of older children. i've told my older children this i've come back to them recently and said listen i don't know when but at some point i said something or did something that probably wounded you deeply and and i and i uh, apologize for that please forgive me because none of us as parents by the time our kids are adults look back and go hey i did it perfect right we all have regrets and we all learn some things along the line like you said earlier like every kid's differently let, let me jump into this for just a moment uh, some principles that parents could consider since just some practical principles you sent some to us via email and i loved some of them just you know um nope. read one yeah and, yeah and I'll go so yeah let, I'll, how about i'll read them and you you unpack them a little bit so you talked a little bit about the first car when you buy your first car for a child or you help them get their first car you had a principle about that you know, I, I work in a school. Um, it's it's a very affluent Christian school, and so so many sixteen year olds are coming to um, coming to school in you know Range Rovers or whatever. Um, and you know, a lot of parents will defend that by, well, it's a safe car. That that's true. It is a safe car. But here's two things that you should be you should consider. Number one, when they go on to, into life, you know, and get a job and start working, what's higher than a Range Rover? You, you've already put them at the very top. There's something to be said for working. You know, you buy a Toyota or, you know, some $5,000 car, and then you work and earn. Because um, one of my other principles here is that every 16-year-old kid should have a job because there's so many yeah, great yeah, life yeah. lessons that they can learn in that job that you don't have to teach them. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, your dad still, there's still that voice. If you keep on teaching them every life lesson – your voice will become numb. Let their boss at McDonald's or Target or wherever they're working and you let them come home, you know, having been been beat up with a life lesson and then yeah. you get to mentor it as opposed to try to teach it. But Some, sometimes 
having like the kind of jobs a typical 16 year old gets sometimes there's a lot of value in them having just those kind of you know to be crass kind of those crappy first jobs that people get there's a lot of value in that isn't it oh working for bad poor managers absolutely and, yeah yeah absolutely yeah but when you you uh you 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 what a great skill to teach your kid that you know what if you want a seven thousand dollar car go earn it if you want a ten thousand dollar car go earn it you give your child no ability to move up. Now you might say, well, you can do that with anything. A car is such an identity thing for a teenager. Yeah. So kind of a rite of passage, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. so don't think this spreads off to so many other areas. It's kind of unique for a, a car. It's a great point. The second thing is statistically speaking, you pay more insurance for a, a younger person. Why is that? Well, because people much smarter than us have crunched the numbers and realized that most 16 to 18 year olds get in a car accident. So do you want them wrecking a $60,000 car or a $3,000 car? Because they're more than likely going to have a fender bender sometime in those first two years. It just seems from a financial standpoint, a lot more common sense yeah. to, to shoot low yeah. on, on this car. And I guess the third thing I just talked about is do you really want a car being an identity piece for your kid? Really? Yeah, because that's something we're going to struggle with throughout life. Is Absolutely. having an identity wrapped up in things. So maybe help them a little bit. Because we all, there's some value in driving around that car, that first car. That was my story where I was almost a little embarrassed about it. I was certainly not going to have my identity wrapped up in that. My son talks about, my youngest son talks about by the time he had his first car, it had been handed down a few times. So he would always tell his friends, he's like, buckle up, because if I'm about to get sideswiped, I'm going to let it happen because I want to get the insurance for this piece of junk. <laughs> so you also mentioned um, curfew and the value of a curfew, not so much for curfew's sake, but for guardrails. Speaking of that. There's a story I heard one time. Um, there was an elementary school that was built, and it was near a really busy street. And so they let the kids all out on this field to play ball and whatnot. And the kids were terrified because of that, that, that street. They were up against the building the whole time. They never moved more than about 15 feet away from the building. And they had this just gorgeous field they could play on. They put up a fence around this, this area, around the school now. And then the kids were all over the place because that boundary created safety for them. That's, a, that's a, just now think about what a boundary can do. It creates safety for your kids to really be free. Now, you might, you know, kids might say, no, I can think of a lot of other areas I'd rather be free in. Well, that's true because you're immature and you have a different perspective about what freedom really is. God wants us to have freedom, but he puts boundaries around us, right? It, there's just this you're, you, what you're saying is you're giving your child permission to be everything that they can be inside of these boundaries, knowing yeah. that outside of these boundaries will hurt them. It's a responsible thing to do. When the kids are sitting there talking and I'm with a group of kids and, you know, hey, you want to go do this Friday night? Uh, yeah, but I got to be home by 11. They're like, oh, really? I don't, you know, I don't never have to be home. My parents don't really care about that. My parents don't really care about that. That's a telling statement. Mm -hmm. I want my parent, I, I want a parent to care about everything. And I care about you so much. I know good things don't happen after midnight or 11 or whatever. 
anytime you get a group of more than three boys together, you know troubles, you know, gonna happen. <laughs> I don't care how good yeah, these kids are. That, in those ages where they're yeah, they're 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 uh Thinking skills aren't always at the best when three guys are together and they're 17, 18, 16. Absolutely. Like We're all knuckle. I mean, you get three men together yeah, with yeah. no boundaries <laughs> yeah, and there's true. something stupid going to testosterone. Happen. You know, man, Tim, there's so much deep theological truth, not just with parenting, but about your whole statement about boundaries equal freedom. That's loaded. Can I read something? Because when you emailed this to me, I was on a plane to Brazil recently. And I'm almost 52, and I was thinking about this idea of guardrails or boundaries. And, and so I wrote this. I'm just going to read it verbatim because it goes right along with what you said. I wrote, no guardrails means no road, and no road means no direction. We want to believe that no rules, principles, values are where freedom is found. Instead, no guardrails only leads to lack of direction, disorientation, fear, and confusion. The paradox is that guardrails and boundaries ultimately free us to live with direction, purpose, and connection. Like like guardrails, we think that they're 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 inhibiting. inhibiting. Yeah. But then I added this. These guardrails channel our direction appetites, channel our appetites, it's a key thing, right? Desires toward what brings freedom and abundant life rather than bondage and death. You cannot have a yes without a no. And with God there is not just a no, but a better yes. That's the key, isn't it? Absolutely. And with oh, a good parent. 100%. It's not just a no. There's a better yes with those boundaries. Yes, there is. And I'll give you an example because you see this in high school all the time. Um, along with the increased viewing of pornography, um, unfortunately, most of our teenagers out there are experimenting sexually yeah. as well. Um, and this whole hookup culture that's out there. Um, when you talk about sex, that, that's God's creation. And he put it in this bucket of, of marriage. Mm -hmm. And you can have a couple different perspectives about that, which most kids say, that's just, that's just sucking the fun out of everything we want to do. But you and I know, as a little bit older in life, that having sex before marriage comes with a ton mm -hmm. of, of, of negative things, mm -hmm. emotionally, physically, risks. Um, stats even show that. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, it, it, your kids don't want to hear those facts. In fact, it sounds old-fashioned when you say keep sex in the context of marriage. The thing is that God created it to be so beautiful in this thing. But like everything else in life, we like to take it and do our own thing with it. Yeah. Again, we've gone beyond the guardrails yeah. that God put it there. When anybody and everybody who has followed that general path would tell you, you know, and studies would tell you um, that the connections of that relationship um, are, are just so much more solid. There, there's a, um, a, a, I'm not a doctor. I just read this one time, but it really, it really made sense. And I, I do this with kids because occasionally I've had, I have a kids in my office because there's been some sexual activity. And, and as a school, we're going to speak into that. Um, I take a piece of tape and I said to this child in this meeting with this parent, Every time that you have sex with another partner, there's this um, uh, hormone or something that, that is released in your body when, when you are intimate with somebody like that. And I take the piece of tape and stick it on the carpet and pull it up. And then you go down with, you know, to college and, and there's another partner. 
tape on the floor again. And then, you know, you have this one night stand, tape on the floor. And then eventually you run into the woman or man that you want to spend the rest of your life with, okay? And what this this hormone or whatever it is called, like I'm not a doctor, it, it's a stickiness factor that exists in, in, in a relationship between a husband and a wife, right? Well, once, I, once I've stuck this on the carpet a few times, I said, that's all you have to offer now after you've had five or six or 26 partners. Not much stickiness for the person you want to spend the rest of your life with. And... God can restore all things. Yes. There's yes. no doubt about yeah. that. Yeah. Whether it's stickiness or yeah. emotional, you know, wounds. But, but you have to work through some stuff to get there. It's yeah. a guardrail. Yeah. And he just wants the best for he us. He wants the best for us. Just like a parent. Yeah, man, this is why I believe and I say now often that the skeletal system of all our theology or beliefs should hang on to who is the goodness of God. Amen. Because if you if you and I think that's one of our enemy's greatest tactics against us. You know, he used it in the very beginning, beginning of the narrative, the first few chapters, right? Did he really say this? Was it really for your good? So what we're describing, what we're talking about right here with guardrails and everything is if if we really believe that that God is good and then we model this as parents, that that we understand that anything he says no to is because it's going to hurt us. It's not. It's not to ruin our life or. Make or as you said peaceful. earlier, there's actually a better version there's of a that. Better version of it. Yeah. Yeah. Waiting for you. Yeah. One thing that I started to to, to shift in my thinking is he's a yes God, not a no God. Sometimes when you read the, the Bible, you think he's just a no God, but the first first couple chapters display that he said yes to everything and no to one thing. But the one thing that he said no to is because he knew what. And here we're still oh, you got to do <laughs> paying the, the price news today and find out what we're paying the price for it still. So he knew where that was going to go. But he said yes to so many things. And so he's a yes God. So when he put the like the illustration he uses the boundaries for the kids, that playground, there's all kinds of yeses inside of that. Uh-huh. They go over that fence, it's going to hurt them. It's, that's a bad yeah. no yeah. on the yeah. back So I, I love that. Is there anything else? I want to jump into, we're going to finish up here with the two truths and lie, but is there anything that you want to say? You, you packed so much into this, Tim. I think some of our listeners are probably going to have to go listen to this podcast two times or three times or go home where they can take some notes and write down some of this because you you gave us a lot of great information. Anything you want to share before we 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 finish up here? Did we miss anything? Well, you know, you always want whenever you're talking, uh, a lot of my principles, a lot of things I totally believe, the things I believe God has given to me, uh, they work whether you're a, a believer and Christianity is important to you or not. However, there's a whole other level and dimension, I think, that, that is possible in a dad who has surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And I agree. there is just this, you know, there's principles in God's word. Even if you're, you know, the book of Proverbs is a very wise book, whether you're a believer or not a believer. There's, there's stuff in there. In other words, there is absolutely things that I think God has given me as a father that I couldn't have on my own. I'm a, I have the capability of being a better leader in the world and for my kids if I have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And I would certainly encourage any dad to explore that. Even if you're a fantastic dad, I think there's a brand new level of intentionality and space and conversation and, and baton passing that you can give to your kid if faith is a, a wedge in who you are. Um, I, I would just really encourage you to explore that because 
Um, I, I've met a lot of dads that are great dads who who don't who don't have a, a saving faith. Um, it seems like you have to be more perfect if you're that way. God God has has given me so much grace and my kids so much grace when I've messed up. I, it seems like that'd be a, an important thing to have in your back pocket. If trying to raise your kids because you're not going to do it perfect. Huge, huge man. So, so well said. So well said to speak into that just briefly. And I think make your point. I think one thing that it's helped me with because I'm a, a, a Jesus follower and a person of faith, like you said, where it's helped me with my dad being a better dad is being a Jesus follower has helped me take some of my masks off. We all wear masks. Amen. But I've, I've grown to realize like I don't have to wear this with God which also is helping me walk with my kids, even now as adults, and hopefully my grandkids now too, and help them understand, you don't have to wear a mask. It's all right. You made a mistake. We're going to work through it. It doesn't change how I feel about you. If the author of this book, Craig, is right, and a lot of us men are walking around with wounds, sometimes from our own fathers, I, I would admit that as much as I love my father and he taught me so many things, I, I have some wounds from from my father. He's an earthly father. Um, God's in the business of healing wounds yes, and fixing is. wounds. You don't have to live with that wound. You don't have to be perfect. God's got a plan for that wound as well. So well said. Amen. Man, that's one of the greatest hopes. So, you know, we always finish with two truths and a lie, which is ironic because we call this no gray areas. But we've been we've sat with you for about an hour. I've actually had uh, hours of conversation with you. We've had coffee a couple of times. So let's see if you can stump us. Two truths and a lie. Okay. So you know, I'm, I'm a wrestler and a mm-hmm. wrestling coach. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was 36 years old, I decided to wrestle in the U.S. Nationals. It's national competition, college kids, everything. Um, they do have a veterans division. It's a little bit older division. Um, so twice at age 36 and 38, I placed in the top four at the U.S. Nationals. A little bit older. Okay. Number two. That's good. Um, there are two well-known athletes today out there in the professional world. One, Wyndham Clark, who just won the U.S. Open golf. And one, Christian McCaffrey, who is, you know, all pro running back for the San Francisco 49ers, both attended the high school that uh, yeah. I used to work yeah. at. Um, I used to have them in class and had the opportunity to mentor them. In fact, yeah. even today, I'll get a phone call once or twice a year from both of them wow. asking yeah. for just a little bit, hey, what would you do in this situation? Kind of just catching up. That's number two. Number three, um, I have three sons. All of them have competed at the highest level of high school sports. Uh, a couple went on to, actually all of them went on to college to play, play a, a different sport. Um, but uh, in, in their journey through high school, uh, they were in state championships almost every year of their high school career, but not once did they ever win first. They always took second. So they like to kid me that I'm the runner-up dad. That's 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 my gene pool. I can only produce runner-ups. Okay. Whoa, those are good. You told me that you're competitive and you really thought this through, and I can tell you did. Those are good. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go with number two. I'm going to try to get it down to 50-50. I think number two is true because I do know Christian McCafferty went to your school, unless you tricked me. So I'm going to say number two is true. No. Oh, my goodness. You got me. <laughs> I did have Wyndham in class. 
Um, but he missed my class a lot because he was playing golf all the time. Uh, there actually are some people in our school that still work there that do have that relationship with them and, yeah. um, and talk with yeah. them regularly and provide advice yeah. and mentorship. That person is not me. Yeah. Okay. So, but this is fun though. So number one is true. Yes. You did that. Wow. I'm not sure okay, it was big, the wisest move in the world, but... Uh, no, but big respect. I get it. Uh, you know, someone who isn't... If, we're, if there's younger people listening right now, they just have no idea how age starts catching up to you, especially as you get into your late 30s. So at 36, 38, competing at that level, that's... Wow. Okay, cool. And then, so you are the runner-up dad. <laughs> I, I am the runner-up. I've that's had awesome. uh, I've had two sons play second in the state championships yeah. in wrestling and one in golf. Yeah. Well... Like you said earlier, though, didn't change how proud you are of them one bit, does it? No. And placing second, sometimes they always say that um, second is almost the hardest thing to take, right? Because third, you just barely made the, the, the stand. Second, you, you missed first place. So you, you, you learn a lot of uh, resiliency and overcoming skills placing second on something. You do. Yeah. I, and, and, and honestly, at some point, I figured out that the journey is more important than the destination. Yes. And, and so... I will never trade the golf journeys I took with my boys, you know, going to tournaments all over. It was just great family time, nor do I, you know, miss the, the times of being on, or I miss the times of being on a side of a mat, competing with my son, coaching and, yeah. and helping them, you know, through that journey. Yeah. All good stuff. Well, Tim, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and sharing with us. And again, I think that there are some of our listeners are maybe going to have to go listen to this two times or three times and definitely get out a notepad and write some of this down. Um, you shared some great principles, so appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. Well, thanks for having me. I really do appreciate it. Wow. What an impactful interview discussing the importance of intentional parenting with life coach and mentor, Tim Welch. If you want to learn even more or connect with him, you can do so on his coaching Instagram, at coach.4.life. That's at coach.4.life. And don't forget to comment below your thoughts on the episode. And as always, like, follow, and subscribe. We'll see you next time. No gray areas. <laughs>